All right, Brother Adrian is going to come this direction and give them just a moment to get him set up with the microphone. Uh, many of you know now a little bit about his story, where he's from. Um, for those of you that are just attending this morning, let me remind you his background. He was born in Berlin, Germany. His, his dad was in the, in the uh, military. And uh, his family heritage is Puerto Rican, but he's, he's a pastor in Colorado. Uh, he's got a very good church there. So he was a year behind me in Bible school. So we've known each other for quite some time now, quite some time. Shortly after he graduated Bible school, he went to the mission field himself. He went to Bolivia and was there um, not too long. And his wife got very, very ill. And it was either, uh, let's say, spend her health there completely or come off the field. So it was a very tough decision. But uh, he helped out in a church in Tennessee for a while. And then God moved him back to Colorado where he's got New Heights Baptist Church and doing a wonderful job there. So Brother Adrian, we sure do appreciate having you with us, brother. And you folks, you've been, you're always a good church to preach to. You guys are good listeners. You give them your attention now. Brother, thank you for being here. Amen. All right. You get this on. There we go. We are on. Okay. It only took me about three days to figure it out. <laughs> I got it. All right. It has been a blessing to be here. Um, I want to clarify, I am not Irish. People think I'm Irish because I say, I'm going to try it, I'm going to try it. Is that better? A little bit better? Yeah, yeah. By the way, I want to point something out. When he was talking to the brother that traveled 14 hours to get here, he, he said this, so I just want you guys to understand, okay? I'm going to give him an English lesson. He's not ready for this. He's from Texas. Texans don't know how to talk American English. And he said, he done bought a plane. Done bought a plane is not correct. <laughs> I just want to point that out, all right? I've learned a lot since I've been here. Uh, I've learned that uh, uh, when you say buy a donkey, you're not buying an animal. You're saying thank you very much. I've learned that a, a baki is a baki, 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 yeah. You don't have an ah, it's an aw, baki, baki. Baki's like a, a truck, right? Uh, and I, I learned yesterday that, uh, let's see how it, wurtbrücke? Is that, is, oh, that wasn't good, that was terrible, I got. Wurtbrücke. Bricky. All right, you know what, that one is okay, all right. All right, you know what, I'm done, stop, I'm done, I'm done. It's good to be saved, amen? You understand that much. So uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. It has been a genuine joy to be here. Luke chapter number 10. Uh, I'm going to ask, if you would, just for a few moments to stand with me as we read the Word of God. Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. And going to read... Uh, Starting in verse number 25, um, again, uh, I believe a familiar passage to most of you. Uh, we would call this story the story of the Good Samaritan. And um, I think there's, there's something that, that maybe sometimes uh, can get overlooked in this, and I want to talk about that this morning. Uh, Luke chapter number 10, uh, starting in verse number 25. And I just want to say by way of introduction, before we even read any of the verses, if you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not 100% sure that if you died right now, you'd be in glory. My hope is that by the end of this message, you realize what Jesus Christ did for you and you accept, it as, you accept Him as your Savior. If you are here and you are a born-again believer, I believe most of you are. My prayer is that by the end of this, you will see what your part is in this story. Uh, Luke chapter number 10, verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. I think oftentimes it's not that we don't know the answers to the questions as much as we don't necessarily want to live them out. 
Verse number 29. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Brother Francois, would you open us up in a word of prayer, please? Amen. Please be seated if you would. Before I get to my message, let me just say this. I need to say this. I, I, I have to, as we say, get this off my chest. Uh, this is an excellent church. You can say amen. That's okay. <laughs> this is a good church. Never take for granted what you have here. And, and let me just say that it is a blessing as a preacher coming from out of, out of the area, out of the country. I can't pronounce a lot of your names, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning how to do that. But just the hospitality and the ease and the liberty that there is to preach. It reminds me a lot of my church, man. You guys laugh. You have a good time. That's liberty. Let me just say this about that. That makes it attractive when people are coming from the outside, coming in to see the place is real. That's good. Keep doing that. Back to our message in Luke chapter number 10. I, I, I want to point out to you that this is a real interesting situation and and it's one of those situations where somebody comes to Jesus and asks Jesus a question. And the question that is asked is, who is my neighbor? Now, I don't know about you, any of you parents, if you've ever had this happen to you before, sometimes your kids ask you a question, not because they want the real answer, but because they're wanting a way out. Mom, do I have to pick up my room? What do you mean? Yes, of course. Mom, do I, Dad, do I need to take out the trash now? Yes, take out the trash now. L listen, the, the, this, this man came to Jesus and said, Who is my neighbor? Not necessarily because he was really wanting to know, but rather, as the Bible says, to justify himself. This morning, if I could ask you that are believers to do something, I would ask you this. Ask that question, but don't ask it to justify how you live, but rather to find God's actual answer. If you are not saved this morning, let me say this. I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I match the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Don't ask that question to try to justify yourself, but answer it honestly. Who then, who then is my neighbor, the man asks. And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked that question. Let me tell you a story. Sometimes people will ask uh, you as a Bible-believing Christian, or maybe they'll ask me as a preacher, they'll say, hey, preacher, what about this? I, I have a secular job. For those that don't know, I, I'm a full-time pastor, and I also work full-time, and uh, I'm never bored. I'm never bored. I'm always busy. That's a good thing. I think God did that so I would stay out of trouble. I really do. And, and so, really, I mean, if you get to know me, I think that's an actual factual statement. I've had people say, uh, Adrian, is it really that big of a deal? Why don't you come with us after hours? We're going to go do happy hour. They don't ask me that anymore. You know why they don't ask me that anymore? Because one time a new employee asked me that. They go, hey, how come you don't come drink with us? And all the other employees go. <laughs> and I can see them going, no, 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 no. 
And, and they're like, don't ask, because they knew what was coming. I said, I'm glad you asked that question. And for, <laughs> for the next 10 minutes, I gave them my testimony, and everybody in the background was like, oh, man. We forgot during orientation to tell this person, don't ask him Bible stuff. But the question was asked nonetheless. And what you learn over the course of this passage is you learn what it looks like to be a man or a woman on a mission. This weekend we're talking about missions. We're talking about giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to those we know, to those we don't know, and to all the world. And I can tell you from reading this passage of Scripture, we're going to find out that not everybody looks the same way when they're going somewhere. There have been times, and my, my daughter will tell you this, uh, because of my schedule, sometimes in the morning, I'm just, I'm moving, man, I'm moving. And my wife sort of, uh, you ever, I don't know if they have these here. Back in the States, they've got these little things called iRobots. It's not a traffic light, okay? It's, it's a robot that comes behind and cleans up the floor. Any idea? And it's, and it's, I'm getting some going this, some going this. All right, listen, my wife sometimes looks like that behind me. Everywhere I go, she's sort of walking behind me going, hey, honey, do you remember this? Don't forget your keys. Don't forget your wallet. And hey, what about this? And what about that? And you say, what's going on? Well, usually I'm on my way out the door, and I'm a man on the mission. I've got somewhere to go, and I thank God for my wife. She helps keep me sane. Whatever sanity I have, it's because of my wife. I thank God for her. But you know what she'll tell me? It's like you're not even listening. And I don't know how it is here, ladies, but I know back in the States, sometimes the ladies are talking, and he's going, You say, why? Because his mind's on cricket or rugby or, uh, you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't know how your mind could be on cricket, but it's possible, I guess. <laughs> and I'm probably going to offend somebody. If you like cricket and you love cricket, that's, we can still be friends, amen? <laughs> but but here, here's the point. When somebody's on a mission and they got their mind focused on something, they look a little bit different than someone that's just doing this. In this story, there's a lot of different characters. I want to talk about the man that fell. I want you to look, if you would, at this man that goes on a journey. Down in verse number 30, the Bible says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I want to point out, number one, the direction of our lives without Jesus Christ. If you're here without Jesus Christ, let me tell you, the only direction that you go in this life without Christ is down. The Bible says here in verse number 30, the Bible says, a certain man went, what? Down. Let's do this. Let's say it all together. Ready? A certain man went? Down. He went down. Now listen, if you look at a map of, of the Middle East and you look at that, the, the area there, you'll find out that that, the, 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 that that map will show you that Jericho is actually north of Jerusalem. And yet it says that he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The Bible is not contradicting itself. It's talking about elevation. Here is Jerusalem. Here is Jericho. And let me tell you something. In this life without Jesus Christ, the only direction you go, regardless of what direction you think you're going, you may think, man, I'm, I'm, I've got a career now. I've got some stability. I've got some things going for me in life. I've got a wife now. I've got a family. Things are great. But without Christ, it is down. There is no other direction. We call it the law of moral gravity. You say, what is that? It's amazing. <laughs> the same thing happens in the United States of America when you let go of something. <laughs> you know why that is? Because it's a universal law. Here on this planet... As long as you are on this planet, if you take something and you let it go, it is going to go down. And thank God, God has created every person in this room with a soul that has a purpose. But without Jesus Christ, the soul doesn't have a purpose and it just goes down. Without an outside force coming in, that thing just continues to go down until something comes in from the outside to keep it from continually falling. Can I say this? Before you were saved, Christian, you know where you were headed? You were headed down. 
Go with me to Jonah chapter number one, if you would. Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter number one. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, you understand that if you're lost without Jesus Christ, you go down. Let me say this, if you're saved and you put that Bible down and you find yourself away from God's people and you are moving in the direction of the world, can I say this, can I say you move in the same direction, you go down. You say, well, preacher, I'm saved now and I will never lose my salvation. And I would say, amen, 100%. However, when you get out of fellowship with God and you let the things of this world become more real to you than the things that are eternal, you go down. Look at Jonah chapter number one. Can I say this about Jonah? Jonah was called by God directly. God said, Jonah, I've got a job for you. I have got a mission for you. I've got a mission field for you. I've got somewhere I want you to go. I've got some people that are lost. They have no hope. They have no God. They don't know the God of Israel, and I want you to go to them and preach the truth to them. I look at Jonah's story, and I have to admit, I've got to tell you, sometimes I get a little frustrated with it. I mean, because you know what? As a preacher, it's a preacher's dream. Do you know what every preacher dreams of? Listen, Basketball players, you know what they dream of? Winning the NBA championship. You know, if you're a, I, I don't even know what the rugby championship is or cricket championship is. I'm sure there is one. I, I, I don't know what that is or why you'd have one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, whatever the championship is, that's what people dream about. You know what a preacher dreams about? He's usually about walking to a place where there's a bunch of lost people preaching the gospel and they all say, I want to get saved. That's what we dream. Isn't that great? I mean, in my mind, you know what happens everywhere I go? Uh, I just walk in and people fall down and go, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> That'd be wonderful. And here Jonah goes into a town. You know the story. You've read your Bibles. He goes into a town and he preaches an eight-word message. And everybody gets right with God. Some of you are like, man, preacher, you could just preach to us in eight words and be done with it. And <laughs> But I want you to look at Jonah chapter 1. Look, if you would, at verse number 3. Jonah rose. Let's all say it together. What, which direction? Jonah rose up. He thinks he's moving in the right direction. To flee a Natarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went what? Down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof. There's a great message in all this. I don't have time to go into all of it. And went what? down into it to go with them in a Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Look at verse number 5. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone what? And where did that lead him? It led him to a spiritual slumber. And let me tell you what the world will do, whether you are saved or whether you are lost. If you allow the world to influence the way you look at eternity, the world will just sort of rock you to sleep. It'll try to pacify you. It'll try to tell you it's okay. That gnawing feeling that something is wrong, that something is missing, that you're lost. Don't worry about that. Just take a nap. It's no big deal. It's okay. He'll tell you if you're saved. You know what? You don't have to pass out that track. You don't have to give to that missionary. You don't have to get involved. Just sit back and don't do anything. Everybody else will take care of it. It's okay. No big deal. Just keep going down to take a nap. That's what the world will do for you. I'll tell you what, God has a way of waking us up, does he not? We know what happens to Jonah. Look, if you would, at verse number 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Can I say this? He went down from Jerusalem. He went down, no differently than the, the man that was journeying from Jerusalem to Jericho. He went down to Tarshish. And he went down into the ship, and he went down again, and he went down for a nap, and then they grab him and they throw him down into the sea. Can I point out to you that whenever you're not moving in God's direction, you're just going down. You know what the direction of our lives was before we were saved? It was down. Let me go back, let's go back to Luke chapter 10 together and kind of point out to you the position of our lives. 
not only the direction. I thank God for the direction that, uh, the direction that we find in the Word of God. Isn't that good? Man, I like lines. I like, you know, say, okay, this is right and this is wrong. I like to know where to stand. You know, in my country right now, they're having a big deal about, you know, whether a, a person says, well, I'm a girl or I'm a guy, even though I'm a girl and I'm a girl, but I think I'm a guy, I'm a guy, but I think I'm a girl. Nope. God made you one or the other. That's it. Listen, I, I, I like the fact that God just draws lines and says, here's what is right and here's what is wrong. And here is what is best for your life. Aren't you glad that you learned how to rightly divide the Word of God? That showed you there were lines. Didn't the Bible become alive? And didn't God's direction for your life become a little bit more clear when you learned some of that? Man, I'm thankful for the direction that God gives us, but without Him, we just go down. Secondly, let me point out to you the position of our lives. The position of our lives. And this is the position of those that are lost. This is why we need to go tell them. Verse number 30, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Can I point out to you in verse number 30 that he fell among thieves? Can I tell you this? Most people, when they fall, brother, when you went skiing, were you planning on breaking your leg? Now, I've heard some other people go, you know, I was going to try skiing, but I saw what happened to that guy. I'm not going skiing. <laughs> now, he did not plan to break his leg. Most of us don't do that. Most people don't plan on getting in a car accident. Most people don't plan on going through a divorce. Most people, most people don't plan on going through the things that they go through in life, but they happen nonetheless. And let me just say this, when you are moving away from God and you embrace sin, and that's what we do when we're lost. If you're lost, it's natural. That comes naturally to you. The next thing that you see is that you fell among thieves. It wasn't planned. And I want you to notice what happens in verse number 30. Not only did he fall among thieves, they stripped him of his raiment. Over in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 31, it speaks of Saul and his sons. And over there in Gilboa, they're fighting the Philistines and there's a battle that goes on and it's coming to the end of Saul's life and Saul has been running from God and running from God and this is his end. He dies. The Bible says on the morrow, the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, those that had been killed. You know, that's a great picture. It's a great picture of the world. The world doesn't love you, doesn't care about you. And you know what? Once it has what it wants of you, it just leaves you there. It'll grab whatever's left, whatever's on your carcass. It has no use for you. Aren't you glad for a God that loved you enough to die for you? The Bible says they stripped him of his raiment. You know what you are without Jesus Christ? The Bible says you are naked and ashamed, clothed in the rags of self-righteousness. You are lost because you don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And listen, before you got saved, never get to a place as a believer where you go, huh, I'm not like those people. Never get to that place. In Luke chapter 18, the Bible says that two men went to the temple to pray. One man looked up. And he said, God, I thank thee that I, am, I, I fast twice in the week and I give uh, tithes of all that I possess. And Lord, I thank thee that I'm not as this man. This other man wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He smote his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God says, that's the one I like. I'll clothe that man in my righteousness. You know what religion will do? It'll leave you empty. You know what religion will do? It'll leave you naked in the sight of God, dressed in your own self-righteousness. You know what the world will do? It'll strip you of anything that you have. The Bible says not only was he stripped of his raiment, but the Bible says they wounded him. You know, one of the hardest things to go through in life is realizing that your hope is in something, and then you're wounded by the very thing that you've hoped to find hope in. And that's what you find in those that are lost without Christ, seeking salvation in religion. Seeking salvation in, in a club. Seeking salvation in good works. Seeking salvation in some other thing. You see what happens at the end? It leaves you wounded. 
If we go through testimonies of those that are saved in this room, I know there are countless of you that would say, I tried this, and I tried that, and all it did is leave scars in my life. I've got people in my church. I've got one individual I can think of right now in my mind, and and this individual would say with tears coming down their eyes, I tried everything else. I tried what the world had to offer. I thought I was going to be happy, and it left me wounded. Jesus Christ had a prophecy in Zechariah. The Bible says, I was wounded in the house of my friends. It's one thing when you get wounded by an enemy. It's another thing when you're wounded by something that you're hoping to find some comfort in. And I want you to notice the position of our lives in verse number 30 at the end of that verse. You know what they left him? They left him half dead. Almost dead. You know, when we were in Bolivia, we had a dog. And it was a Dalmatian. And the dogs that have the little black spots all over them. And we called her Cassie. Now the reason we call, I don't know if that means anything in your language, but in Spanish, casi means almost. You say, why? She was casi negro y casi blanco. <laughs> she was almost white and almost black. She wasn't either one. She sort of just all, right? And, and, and listen, here, here's what I'm getting at. Uh, if you are almost saved, you're not saved. If you are almost alive, you're not alive. Listen, let me tell you right now. If somebody asked me, are you married? And I said, well, I'm almost married. My wife would slap me so hard. <laughs> and that would be the last time I said almost married. If my daughter says I'm almost his daughter, I'd be a little upset about that. Because that's her way of saying I'm not quite his daughter. Listen, when the Bible says he was half dead, that means it was hanging on by a thread. He was barely alive. When you were lost without Jesus Christ, doesn't the Bible say, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins? Well, your body was well and alive. You were serving your flesh, and yet spiritually, you were dead on the inside. You know what you were? You were half dead. Aren't you glad that you're no longer half dead or half alive? You've got full life in Jesus Christ. That's the position of our lives. Can I point out to you the powerlessness of our helpers? Look, if you would, at verse 31. You know, before you saved, let me give you my dad's testimony very quickly. My dad, my family's from Puerto Rico. As the preacher mentioned, most of my family is Catholic. When somebody first asked my dad, my dad was in the United States Army for 25 years. I uh, appreciate his service. Sergeant First Class Adrián Dominguez Oliveras. And my dad served in Vietnam War. He served in the Persian Gulf. He served in Panama. Uh, great military career. And uh, I'll tell you what, when my dad moved to Germany for the second time, it was 1988. And in 1988, my dad moved to Germany ahead of our family because the military didn't have the housing prepared for us. And let me tell you what happened. This is awesome. One Saturday morning, some people that were actually missionaries from Spain, who started a church in Germany for Spanish-speaking people. They're not even in the military. To this day, I don't know how they found my dad. I don't know. The Lord must have done something there. But they knocked on the door. My dad opens the door. And listen, this is not, you know, Español de Puerto Rico. This is not Spanish Puerto Rican. Es castellano. The Spanish from, from Spain. Herman, uh, señor, señor Adrián, podemos tomar un poco de tiempo contigo. And so they, they asked my dad, can we, ask you, can we ask you a few questions? And he says, sure. And, uh, and, they, and they start asking questions. He goes, you guys want to come in? That's dangerous. <laughs> that's, that's when you know you're in, right? Amen. If you're a soul winner, that's when you know. And they sit down. They sit down and they start talking about, am I done? Was that the bell? Okay, all right. Because I, I saw you guys use the bell here, and that's very cool. And I, you know. They asked my dad, if you died today, would you be in heaven? He goes, well, how can anybody know? And then they started asking some more questions. He goes, well, I try to be a good person. 
Well, I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good a husband. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all these things. That was the question that they asked my dad. And those were his answers. And thank God, they didn't stop there. Week after week after week, they answered all of his questions. And my dad got saved. And that led to my salvation three years later. But do you know what my dad's helpers were? They were powerless. They could not save him prior to salvation. He could not be saved with religion. Can I point out to you in Luke chapter number 10, in verse number 31, the Bible says, and by chance, <laughs> by chance. You know, Jesus Christ doesn't move by chance. You know that? There's a purpose, and Jesus Christ is the man on the mission. There is a purpose to how he moves, but religion's not that way. I, I want you to notice here in verse number 31 that by chance there came down a priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I want you to notice that this, this priest is not on any particular journey. He's just by chance going by there, and he sees the man that's half dead, and, a, and that priest representing religion looks at that man, and he looks at him. You know what he does? He just passes by. As the blind man was sitting there by the way, he cried to Jesus for mercy that day. Jesus commanded and gave him his sight. So he followed Jesus, and I'm sure he cried. Jesus passed by my way, and he made me whole. That day, just a sinner was I, but then Jesus passed by. And oh, what a change in my life since Jesus passed by. I want you to notice that religion passed by. I want you to notice in verse number 32, the Levite, very similar to the priest, the Bible says by chance, uh, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place came and looked on him. He actually stopped, walked up to the guy, and you know what he said? Man, you look ugly. <laughs> you ever, ever meet people that just say things that are obvious? <laughs> like when someone says, man, Brother Adrian, you can't pronounce our words. I know that! <laughs> Boy, this is a problem. You are dirty, and you are broken, and you are defiled, and man, your life is a mess. Do you know what the law can do for you? The law does have a purpose. The law can show you that you're broken, but it can't fix you. And that priest walked by, and that Levite came and looked at him and saw where he was, and he pointed out what his problem was, and he said, see you later, buddy. And he walked by as well. But I want to point out to you, I like happy endings. I like, I like happy stories. My wife, or my, my daughter and I were talking last night about something. We were talking about a particular movie. And she said, Dad, I'd like to see that movie. I said, nope, don't waste your time. She said, why? I said, it's just a terrible ending. You know, like, one of the, it was one of those movies a, a couple years ago. It was one of those Star Wars movies. And at the end, there's a big explosion and everybody dies. And at the end of the movie, I'm like, What? I just spent an hour and a half of my life waiting for something good, and that's how it ends? I'm thankful that that's not where the story ends, with the priest and the Levite. I, I'm thankful that beyond that, there was another character that shows up. And I want to show you the passion of our hero. The passion of our hero. You see, who's our hero? I think you know who the good guy is by this point. His name is Jesus Christ. I want you to notice in verse number 33, you find his passion in his journey. The Bible says, but a certain Samaritan, you've got to understand, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. The Samaritans were basically, the Jews would look at the Samaritans and say, you guys are the half-breeds, you don't have our religion all the way, you're sort of like us, but not all the way, and we don't want you around. And the Samaritans said the same things about the Jews, and they did not get along. And here come two Jewish men, the priest and the Levite, and they leave that man in that shape. And yet here's this guy, the last one that you would expect to be able to help. I tried religion, I tried the world, I tried pleasures, I tried uh, the, keeping the law, I tried everything on my own. And here comes this last character. 
And I want you to notice in verse 33, the Bible says, as he journeyed. Can I, can I subscribe to you this? The other two weren't on a journey. They're just passing by. This man was going somewhere. He was the man on a mission. Can I say this, Christian? When you live your life, you know how you can live it? I have my youngest daughter. You don't know her. Her name is Emma. She's eight years old. And I cannot tell you how many times that kid is in what we call la-la land. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, the other day, that kid had put up an obstacle course in our house. She said, Dad, come look at this. And she's got this obstacle course set up where we're, you know, doing these exercises. And, and she's got me looking like a crazy person. She says, Dad, put these bands on and do this and, and pull this way and pull this way. She's got, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, where does this kid think of all this stuff? You know where she's at half the time? I'll say, Emma, Emma, what are you doing? You know, it's cute when an eight-year-old does that, but it's tragic when a Bible-leading Christian lives their life that way. You say, why? Because when you do that, you might just pass by the person that needs you the most. I want you to notice the passion of our hero is found in his journey. It's found in the way that he moves. He goes in verse 33, and he came where he was. Man, I like this. He comes all the way down to where he's at. He says, friend, can I help you? He gets down on the ground. I like it when preachers preach very plainly and can make sense of the word of God. I like them to get where I'm at. Keep it simple. In America, we have this principle called the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. You say, what does that do? It helps me understand. Make it plain. Come where I'm at. I'm thankful for a Savior that got down where I was at. The Bible says he came where he was. And he looked on him. But the way he reacts is a little bit different. I want you to notice the Bible says when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Go with me to John chapter number 6. I want to illustrate something for you if I can. John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6, look if you would at verse 34. Again, a very familiar passage. John chapter number 6. I'm sorry, Mark. Mark chapter number 6. I said John, didn't I? Mark, Mark is still Mark here in South Africa, I guess, right? Amen. Mark chapter number 6. And look if you would at Mark chapter number 6 and verse number 34. And Jesus... When he came out, saw much people. And was moved with compassion toward them. Because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. I'm glad when the Lord saw me as a sheep without a shepherd, he sought me out. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. How do you teach the one that flung the stars into existence anything? Hey, Lord, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's late in the day, and we're in a desert. It's almost like they're trying to say, hey, Lord, uh, I know you have compassion. I know that you really care about these people, but it's getting late. Uh, we don't have time to do anything else. We've been ministering all day long, and, and, and Lord, uh, it's late, and we're in the middle of nowhere. We can't help these folks. I want you to notice what they say in verse 36. Hear these three words from the men that walked with Jesus Christ closer than anybody else has physically on this earth. Send them away. Lord, I appreciate your compassion. God, I'm thankful that you took time for me. I'm just not sure we have time for these folks. Send them away that they may go into the country roundabout and in the villages and buy themselves bread. <laughs> Again, Lord, let me point out the obvious. They have nothing to eat. 
I love the Lord's response. You know, sometimes kids will ask, why? Why? Uh, hey, I want you to put your shoes on. Why? Uh, I want you to pick up your, why? Uh, we're going to go to church. Why? Because I said so! <laughs> Here Jesus says to them, after all their excuses, after their lack of compassion, he says, give ye, you, you that are saved, you my disciples, give ye them to eat. The passion of our hero is found in his compassionate spirit. The Bible says in verse, look, look back if you would in this passage in Mark chapter number 6. In Mark chapter number 6, I want you to notice the Bible says in verse 34, he was moved with compassion. You know what that means to be moved with compassion? It's one thing for me to go, oh, poor guy. Oh, man, I really feel bad for that guy. Somebody should do something about that guy. Man, that's terrible that that guy's in that position. It's nothing to be moved with compassion. Let me ask you, who are you more like in this story? Are you like the man on the mission, Jesus Christ, when it comes to other lost sinners? Or are you more like the priest or the Levite? Go back with me, if you would, to Luke chapter number 10. The passion of our hero is found in his journey, it's found in his movement, it's found in his, in his compassion. It is found in his healing. I want you to look at verse 34, and I want you to see that he poured in, uh, in, uh, in that man's wounds. He bound up his wounds, and he poured in the oil and the wine. That oil being a picture of the Holy Spirit, that wine being the blood of Jesus Christ, that's the only thing that'll work for a lost sinner, amen? That's the only thing that works for those wounds that go down into the soul. I want you to see his compassion. His passion is found in that he takes time to heal the brokenhearted. And I want you to see that he carried this man on his own beast in verse 34. But he didn't stop there. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. That inn is a great picture of this church. You know what you do out there? Christian, you know what you ought to be doing? Going to where they are at and doing what we can to support those who will go to where they're at, whether it's in Russia or across the street or over in, in, in the United States, wherever it may be, all over South Africa. Go to where they're at, supporting those that go where they're at, and you take them and you heal them and you put them on your own beast. You say, what is that? It's an investment of time and resources. And then you don't stop there. You bring them back to the end. This is the inn, amen? This is the place where the sinner can get some rest in a Bible-believing church and get edified and get back on their feet. And I want you to notice what the hero in the story does. I want you to notice in verse number 35, not only does he take him to the inn, but he tells the innkeeper, hey, here's the money for him to stay here. And by the way, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to repay you for all the time and the energy and the care you give to my friend, this sinner. Man, what a promise. Yesterday I was talking with somebody after church and they were struggling with whether or not they understood that they were saved 100%. I'm glad that salvation is not a hope so I may, might be saved, I'm hoping to be saved. In Spanish, we say ojalá or quizás. That's like saying, well, maybe. And most people ask in Spanish, ¿Usted es salvo? ¿Usted es cristiano? Well, ojalá, yo soy cristiano, no sé. Uh, maybe I am, I'm not so sure. Listen, I'm glad that whenever I got saved, it was 100%, amen. But I was talking to somebody after church and, 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 and going through some scriptures, the same scriptures your pastor will go through with you to show you how you know you're saved and you got spiritually circumcised when you were born again and you received the Spirit of God and you're sealed on the day of redemption and you're just waiting for your body to be redeemed. Thank God for that. Man, what a promise he makes in that passage. He says, you know what? I want you to know that whatever you do in this inn to take care of sinners, I will pay you myself when I come back. He's coming back. That lady, after our conversation, says, I'm going to go home and tell my friends, I'm 100% sure I'm saved. Why? 
because of the promises of God. We see the passion of our hero in the fact that he promises not only to leave that sinner there, but to come back. Now, if you get all that and you miss verse 37, you may miss the most important part to you. Jesus asks a question. By the way, you are never going to play chess with God and win. He wins every time. And you know what? You go, ha, uh, Lord, uh, which, which, uh, uh, Lord, who is my neighbor? The Lord tells the story, and he goes, checkmate, which of these three was his neighbor? And the guy puts his head down. And you know what Jesus says in verse number 37? He says this, Go and do thou likewise. The man on the mission gives us a pattern for our lives. Jesus, friend of sinners, be a friend to me. Take my sinful, shackled heart. Cleanse and set me free. Source of mighty power, my dynamic be. Into me your spirit, pour holy energy. Seeker of the wayward, guiding light to me. Keep me straight, then let me help darkened souls to see. Teacher of disciples, my instructor be. Learn, obey, then go and tell. These lessons teach to me. Aren't you glad for the song? Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Do you know it? Sing with me. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. He's the pattern for our lives. He's the man on the mission. Let me ask you, what is your mission? What is your mission? Are you more like the priest? Are you more like the Levite? Or are you more like Jesus Christ? Or if you're here without Jesus and you don't know if you're saved, you might be like the man that fell among thieves. We want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ today. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye be closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. As the music plays softly, I'd like to give you all a few moments to think about this. Every single one of us in this room today, we fit in this sermon somewhere. All of us. All of us. If you have fallen into that ditch of sin and it has left you half dead, and you're not able to get out of it yourself. You say, if I died right now, I'm not sure w- what would happen to me. You, you are that sinner falling into that ditch. Half dead. Wounded. We want you to know that there are, there, there are someone who cares. He came down all the way to this earth to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus died in your place because He loves you. Took your sins. Paid for them on the cross. And now He extends the offer to you and says, Sinner, you don't have to stay in that ditch. You just have to let me help. Church, you know, we, we've told you so many times to be that good Samaritan. Go looking for a sinner. Do it on purpose. Don't serve God by accident. Be on the journey. Know what the mission is. Be moved with compassion. If you're here this morning... 
and the Lord's dealing with your heart, you're not sure where you're going to go when you die. I would like to pray for you. Would you do me a favor? I, no one's looking. This is private. Would you just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. Say, preacher, if I died today, I'm not 100% sure I go to heaven. Please pray for me. Anybody like that? Just slip your hand up. Put it right back down. Thank you. I appreciate that honesty. Wonderful. Wonderful. Anybody else? Say, preacher, pray for me. I've tried religion. I've tried to keep the law. But I end up just feeling empty. I feel worse than when I started. Anybody else? I appreciate your honesty. I just want to remind you. We, we, we care. We're, we're not looking down at you in that ditch and being condemning and judging and saying, how dare you be in the ditch? We would love to pull you up out of that ditch and introduce you to Jesus Christ. In just a moment, I'll pray and we'll close the service. But if anybody would like to know more about being saved, please, you can find myself, you can find the preacher. Francois, Audemont, Garrett, Venzel, there's so many people in this room that would love to show you how to be saved. Don't leave until you're sure. Father, thank you so much. You've been working in our hearts Friday night, yesterday afternoon, and this morning. God, thank you for making your presence known. Thank you for coming down where we were, for being a friend to sinners. Lord, help us to be the in that we need to be, taking care of these people that you're saving. And I pray for those hands that went up. Please, God, work in their hearts. Don't let them leave today until they're sure that Jesus is their Savior. Father, you've made it clear to us what the mission is. Help us now to go and do thou likewise. To be busy about the Father's business. Thank you for what you've done, and please, God, continue to work tonight. Oh, please meet with us tonight. Bring us back safely. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.